Welcome to Stageworthy, a podcast about Canadian theatre and the people who make it. Hosted by me, Phil Rickaby. This is episode 305. In this episode, I will be talking to Kesha Palm and Julia Dixon from the Paprika Theatre Festival. Are you... are you getting tired? I'm getting tired. So I wouldn't blame you for being tired. It is tiring trying to make things happen in this pandemic. For me, part of it is the uncertainty. Things are starting to reopen. Theater companies are announcing seasons. And it seems like we're starting to get back to a reopening. And yet, I can't relax. Because we're all waiting to see what happens in the next couple of weeks, wondering if we're going to have to shut things down again. And I don't know about you, but I am finding it harder to make things happen in the digital sphere. It's hard enough to produce something and think of it as theater while also learning new technology, working with new technology, trying to figure out how to promote a digital production, and also trying to combat the digital fatigue that our potential audience could be facing. It's tiring, and I, I don't have any answers yet as to how to really deal with it. But this has been challenging all around, and that's one of the things I wanted to talk to Kesha and Julia about. They took over as the artistic producer and general manager of Paprika just as they had to pivot to a festival that's virtual instead of in-person. The Paprika Festival is a youth-led professional performing arts organization that runs year-round professional training and mentorship programs that culminate in a performing arts festival of new works by young artists. Kesha Palm is the artistic producer of the Paprika Festival. Her creative practice includes dramaturgy, direction, performance, and writing. Julia Dixon is the general manager of the Paprika Festival. She's an arts manager, educator, and producer. Here's our conversation. So you guys have been uh, sort of running the the Paprika Theater Festival for for how long? Not very long. This is Kesha <laughs> speaking. Um, I myself officially stepped into my role as the artistic producer of the Paprika Festival uh, June fourteenth, which is also the last day of uh, what was our digital twentieth anniversary festival. Mm. So it's just been a couple months. And Julia started slightly before me. Julia, um, I'll let you speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. I jumped into the fray, honestly, just before Kesha did. So my first foray was on April 14th, which happens to be, for anyone who's keeping track at home, uh, the day after Doug Ford here in Ontario announced that we were going into a complete lockdown uh, with no no (laughs) in-person events or gatherings allowed in any way, shape, or form. So what a welcome to the first day of work it was. But uh, it's been so much fun working with Kesha and the entire team ever since. Okay. One of the things that I think it would be great for for people to know is to describe uh, the Paprika Theater Festival. Could you, one of you, or tag team it, uh, tell me uh, what is Paprika? Awesome. Yes. 
I can. This is Kesha speaking. Paprika is a youth-led professional performing arts organization. And what that means is that um, people under 30 uh, are the, what am I trying to say? Um, When we say youth-led, we mean young artists and artists under 30. And they are the staff, they are the facilitators, they are our contracted artists in the festival, and they are our participants. And we run year-round professional training and mentorship programs, workshops and labs, all which culminate in a performing arts festival of new work by young artists, which is why we're called the Paprika Theatre Festival. Mm. And we offer seven-year-long free training programs. I can list them all for you if you like. (laughs) Okay, awesome. We have a director's lab, the design lab, a productions program, which is where we help someone produce their show for the first time, the Indigenous Arts Program, the Festival Creative Producers and Administrators, a Playwrights Unit, and a Creators Unit, which is a collective creation devised unit. Yeah, one of the things I think that makes uh, Paprika so incredibly special is the fact that while many arts organizations, theater training programs exist in the world, uh, one of the wonderful things about Paprika is that we sort of hit a lot of boxes depending on who you are and how you might fit into the theater world. I know that myself as the general manager of this organization, uh, you don't generally see a whole lot of training opportunities for how to become an arts administrator. And Paprika is a place where that exists, specifically through our Festival Creative Producers and Administrators program, where you get to actually get hands-on experience figuring out how to do arts administration, how to become a producer, whether your fancy is in the admin world or whether you maybe think a little bit more keenly towards the arts as being a performer yourself or being a designer, being a director, whatever fancy you may take, uh, we've got a spot and a place for you. Uh, It's obviously still, uh, we are 20 years old this Mm. past year. Uh, We just celebrated our 20th anniversary, um, but one of the wonderful things about this organization is that it continues to grow and expand and shift depending on who the young people who are Mm. working for the organization are, where they see the arts world taking uh, them and taking the work. And so um, it means that, you know, although we might still not cover all of our bases in terms of our training programs, we've got so much future ahead of us. And it's a really exciting place to be. It sounds like it. Now, you mentioned about the, the administration, and I've been thinking a lot lately about um, leadership in the arts and how... I think that that a way for people to see their way through to to becoming leaders in the arts is not something that is widely uh, available. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that for a lot of people, that's a mysterious thing. How does one become an artistic director or an artistic producer? How does one Mm -hmm. and what do they do? And I think that, you know, because of that, in the Canadian theater scene, we often end up with uh, what feels like either a lack of, 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 of potential leaders or 
the leaders are not visible to the boards that are making the decision. And it's almost like we need a place like Paprika where the administrators of the future can learn how to how to do what they need to do and then can move out into the world so that our next generation of artistic leaders are, let's say, Canadian uh, mm-hmm. rather than somebody we imported from the States or from mm-hmm. England, like so often happens. That's such a great point, Phil. And I think like one of the special things about Paprika is it's um, the whole structure is built around training and mentorship, which includes my job and Julia's job and all of our facilitators and our staff. (laughs) So we have seven training programs, as I said, and six of those are facilitated by art facilitated. And we engage those artists every year, some folks um, for many years. For example, Kevin Matthew Wong has been the festival creative producers and administrators facilitator for going on three years. And Bilal Bag is returning as our playwrights unit facilitator for their third year as well. And I think that's a really great place where Folks have the opportunity to learn how to facilitate a room, how to create community and build connections between participants. Um, And similarly with our roles, you know, Julia and I have very different paths into artistic leadership, actually. Um, And I think one of the really appealing things for me as an artist is I really didn't want to start my own company just for the sake of having arts leadership experience. I think oftentimes for young emerging artists, that feels like the way to, um, you know, make your own opportunity essentially in leading an arts organization. So if you're someone who's more interested in stewardship of cultural institutions and communities like I am, um, there's not as many opportunities that come up to apply to be an artistic leader for an organization that's been around for some time. And that's what, you know, made Paprika so appealing to me. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. And I think that like speaking to what you, you mentioned, Phil, it's really interesting when you think about Paprika's place in this wonderful like lens of the artistic ethos in Canada. Um, we like to say here, Paprika, um, if you've seen theater in Canada, you have seen Paprika at work. And it actually is so genuinely true on so mm. many fronts because in our 20 years of operation, we've supported the careers of over 1,200 different artists. Wow. And there's been so many amazing humans that you might see gracing the stages of Canadian theatres, maybe whether that's on stage or as a designer, as a director or off the stage, or even, as you mentioned, running the cultural institutions here in Canada. Uh, If you have seen any matter of Canadian institutions, you've seen Paprika folks. Um, Some of our amazing alumni, a big old shout out moment for any of of them that might be listening to here today, but it includes wonderful humans like Holly Joy Richardson, uh, Michelle Yagi, Michael Ross, uh, Mitchell Cushman, uh, Wellesley J. Colford, uh, Oase Lightwall, uh, Rob Kempson, all who have gone on to lead such amazing and immaculate careers in the arts industry. Mm. And uh, you sort of have to wonder uh, if these sorts of cultural uh, opportunities and places to learn and engage and foster these sorts of like what we like to say is almost like the first yes of their careers. Mm. If that hadn't been at Paprika, 
would we have lost the opportunity to engage with these amazing, amazing artists? Mm. Uh, it would be an absolute crying shame in our books if the the next uh, Ali Joy Richardson didn't manage to make it onto the artistic Canadian landscape because they hadn't gotten a chance to have a learning platform where mistakes are not only expected, but welcomed. Where How else are you supposed to learn what you're doing if you don't have the opportunity to try your hand at it in uh, a safe place where you have the support and mentorship from your peers and folks who have gone through it maybe just a couple of seconds before and say, ha, huh, yeah, I remember making that exact mistake literally five seconds ago. Here's how you can avoid it. Like, learn from me. And I think this whole community around sharing and growth is so wonderful. And one of the things I think that makes Paprika so incredibly special here in the Canadian theatre scene, Paprika is such a wonderful, special place in which... Uh, Folks are able to learn and grow from one another and build off of each other's mm -hmm. sort of successes and learnings. And it's really amazing that youth are able to, to share that process with one another. Uh, I find that oftentimes working within various cultural institutions in Canada is so wonderful because you get to grow and learn from so many experienced and wonderful people around you. Um, but it can also at times potentially feel a little bit isolating if you are one of the only younger people in the room or in the group and you don't have that sort of network of peers to be able to talk to and sh talk about your challenges with. Uh, and I think that a lot of these cultural institutions do a wonderful job of making a lot of space and room for the next generation of artists. Um, but having those sorts of peers that you're able to refer to and being able to chat with while you're working in these various places is such a magical thing that Paprika is able to cultivate and share and means that you have a lot of support as you continue to work through your cultural careers. And I think that that's so incredibly special. Absolutely. You you mentioned the the freedom to fail. And that is such an important thing. Like um, we learn nothing if we never make a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes, though, in some situations, it feels like the pressure is on. It has to be polished. It has to be perfect. And, you know, a long time ago, I thought I felt like like something like fringe was the place where you could fail. Mm -hmm. um, but. Our audience for Fringe now is really sort of expecting an almost perfect thing, like maybe a, a, a nugget. There might be a few flaws, but it's not a place to fail. And like I said, you don't learn anything unless you are able to fail, even if you don't fail on stage, that you feel like you can you can make mistakes in the rehearsal hall, in the creation process. And then nobody holds that against you because it's part of learning. And that's a wonderful thing and such an important thing that, that I think everybody needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, we're failing all the time <laughs> over here at Paprika <laughs> and learning from it. And that's another reason why these programs that we offer that culminate in the festival um, are so special because we basically give our participants and our staff and our facilitators a couple months to fail and figure it out and workshop and learn and grow um, and then present their findings, um, which are oftentimes works in progress or stage readings or workshop presentations. Um, and the whole concept is that this is a chance to explore and try something new and develop and offer 
something at the end that may lead to something else or may be what feels like the finished project for the day. Um, but that opportunity to be building that process with the festival many, many months in advance is unique. And when it comes to festivals, like you described the fringe, the fringe is intense. There's lots of things going on. There's lots of shows going on. And that's a really vibrant and exciting community to be part of too. But if it's your first time working on a show and you've maybe not gone to theater school and so you don't have um, training or experiences on mm. what that environment might be like, fringe may be really overwhelming. Um, so having the opportunity to be in a festival environment that offers a lot of supports from the very mm. start all the way to the end I think um, can offer a lot of benefits for someone who maybe hasn't been able to access um, for many reasons, um, you know, post-secondary education in theater live performance. Yeah. I, I can tell you from, from experience that even if you have gone to theater school, fringe is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, like, so Paprika as you said, celebrated its 20th anniversary. Um, but I'm sure this is not the 20th. This was not the 20th anniversary that you quite imagined it, it would be. Um, it, you, you produced an entirely digital festival. And out of curiosity, at what point did you decide that it was going to be entirely digital? And um, how, what was the execution of that like? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Phil, because the day that we decided that we were going to a fully digital festival was, in fact, my first day on the job. Oh, <laughs> so, no, no pressure there. Yeah, certainly, certainly not. But uh, I think it's, to a certain degree, obviously, a bit of a disappointment because we it's definitely not the 20th anniversary that I think Paprika of the past would have imagined for mm. us. Uh, I certainly know that... Um, uh, Kanika Ambrose and Daniel Carter, who are the predecessors to Kesha and I, so the previous artistic producer and general manager, uh, they certainly, I think, felt very similarly when the pandemic hit back in 2020. That was the first time that Paprika was met with a challenge of, oh, we have to pivot now. Mm. Uh, I think as many folks in the arts industry and worldwide faced that conundrum of mm -hmm. what does this mean for us? Uh, and I think that it led to uh, an interesting time of learning and growth for so many humans uh, within Paprika and within the arts industry as a whole of what it means to uh, both pivot, but also what it means to be resilient and what the arts and culture sector sort of needs from us at that time, and also what society needs from the arts and culture sector at that time. Uh, mm. There was this really amazing, amazing piece that came out of uh, the 19th uh, Paprika Festival, which was the first festival that Paprika had to pivot to online, uh, which was obviously a lot less of a lead up to what 
ended up becoming that digital festival. Um, but one of the things that came out of that festival was actually a bit of a question, a bit of a documentary uh, created by some of the Paprika participants that basically asked folks, uh, Paprika participants, artists, folks who had participated in the festival that year, uh, what this pivot, what this shift in the world had left them feeling like. And it wasn't necessarily focused on their art. Sometimes Mm. it had an intersection with their art, but it was also just a really big moment to check in about folks and their mental health and capacity because it's, you know, easy to get sucked into the beauty of the art and the importance of this amazing sector that we happen Mm. to be a part of. But also this was a really difficult time worldwide for so, so many humans and a big question mark of what that means for folks and their families and Mm. the world that we get to experiment in. And uh, it was such a wonderfully beautiful piece that they put together, which essentially just allowed them to actually share their genuine, honest feelings about maybe their first big break Mm. that they were really looking forward to getting pulled out from right underneath them. Mm. And there was just a lot of honesty and raw thoughtfulness that I think is exactly what proves that the arts are so crucial Mm. at a time like this, right? It's how we connect Mm. to each other. It's how we have beautiful, honest, and raw conversations about the state of the world and its being. And I think that's how we similarly felt when we had been planning this amazing, wonderful 20th anniversary festival. We had such a big hopes for being able to potentially gather outside, socially Mm. distanced, being able to have, you know, these beautiful in-person performances that we're really actually starting to see come to fruition and come to um, the light this past summer. It's been so incredibly amazing to actually get to see live theater again. I feel like so many humans have felt fairly similarly, but uh, we were just a little bit uh, ahead of ourselves when we were hoping for that. We had such high hopes for what June even would look like. And (laughs) unfortunately, the June that we got was not quite Mm. the the June that we had hoped for, uh, which meant that when it was painfully obvious in April that we had to pivot to a digital festival, uh, it, it was definitely... It was a tough moment for our, our participants. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like something I'll add to that is Paprika doesn't operate in isolation, right? So all of the things that the participants and us as the team behind the participants um, supporting the festival, all of the challenges that we were facing are challenges that um, theater companies across the country and particularly in Toronto were facing at the same time. So the skills that we learned and that our participants learned in how to live stream a show, filming content, um, producing like essentially short films and working with that equipment, streaming on multiple platforms all at once. That was a huge learning curve for us and has been a huge learning curve for the entire industry. So I think it was also really exciting to be able to offer that learning internally to be like, well, this is what it is for everyone now. So um, let's learn alongside CanStage and Tarragon and Factory as they produce podcasts and um, live stream performances. Like 
us too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one of the things that we learned, as I think many people are learning, is digital provided a lot of opportunities as well. We were able to collaborate with artists across the country and even beyond. Um, we had a partnership this year with Thespo in India, and we're able to produce a Cosmo Cabaret, which happened in both time zones, mm. um, which was really cool. And having, you know, theater makers and artists and family be able to zoom in from the, you know, these communities that we have across the country um, where art is being made and connections are being built to be able to bridge that connection um, was really awesome. And I've super enjoyed being able to tune into play readings and developments mm. and screenings of projects that I would normally never get to see um, because I don't spend much time in Calgary, but <laughs> you know, <laughs> getting to watch a performance in Calgary or a play reading from Vancouver is a, is a real delight and makes the country feel um, a little bit smaller. I think that that's one of the wonderful things. If if there if there's if there can be said to be good things that have come from the situation, one good thing is just what you said, the ability to see things that were happening in other parts of the country, things mm -hmm. that we've not been able to do before because we're so spread out in this country that mm -hmm. we don't know what's happening in Calgary or Edmonton or Winnipeg, or we might hear snippets of it, but we don't get to see it. And having the chance to be able to see the things that are happening there is just such a uh, an exciting thing to be introduced to people who maybe Calgary knows this actor or playwright, but we don't in Toronto. And it's a great mm -hmm. opportunity for us to see it. Yeah. In fact, even we've taken that and expanded on it this year because we were like, how incredible is it that we've been able to work with artists from across the country? Um, and two of our programs, we've decided this year to actually keep entirely digital for that exact reason. Um, both the Playwrights Unit and the Festival Creative Producers and Administrators are two programs that we think <laughs> <laughs> will benefit and um, continue to... Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the facilitators in their feedback sessions were like, I actually really enjoy delivering these digitally. Mm. I think that a playwright circle is something that can definitely happen online. And in fact, playwrights can almost benefit from sharing their work and talking about, you know, play development, something that feels really icky and vulnerable sometimes from their own spaces mm -hmm. in a safe space where they feel comfortable. They have their favorite mug they're like <laughs> on the couch or on their bed and those conversations can come right to them. Um, obviously there are some programs where, you know, if you're learning about sound design, it's really mm. good to be able to have your hands on the equipment and hear how those sound waves move through space. Mm -hmm. um, but these two programs just seem like they have a lot of potential for digital delivery and we're really excited to invite folks from Manitoba or the Northwest yeah. Territories or Vancouver Island to zoom in and still be part of this festival. 
There are these wonderful things that, you know, like these these connections that I hope that in our rush to get back into the theater, once we're able to to get there, that we that we hold on to these connections, these ways of 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 connecting across Canada and even sharing work outside of our own province or city. I hope that that's something that we can ultimately hold on to, because I think we're better and stronger for it. Yeah, I think that there's so many interesting things that uh, we've found have actually come to be sort of beneficial and things that we can take out of these times of potentially a little bit more isolation and pull forward with us. Uh, I At Paprika, our motto is uh, where the future of theater begins. And so we often like to think about what the future of theater might hold for Mm. our next generation of change makers that are coming through the art sector. And I think that this was an amazing time period to really think about and listen to the voices of artists that believe that there are some bits of the future of theater that we found during a time when live art maybe wasn't obviously at the forefront of everybody's mind. Uh, I think that the future is super flexible is a big thing to really take into consideration. It's the same element that Kesha was mentioning about being able to like zoom into a really vulnerable session from the comfort of your own home. There's so many humans in which, you know, having the capability to be able to like have these sorts of meetings and sessions from their own spaces, make it so much more accessible for them to be able to participate in art or be able to like view art in a way that they wouldn't have been able to Uh, early mothers or uh, parents, for Mm. instance, if they have difficulty accessing childcare, uh, art can be kind of inaccessible for them. Um, But there's so much flexibility that I think that we can take out and learn from when it comes to uh, the learnings that have come out of this time. Timelines, rehearsal schedules, budgets, performance mediums. Mm. There's so many different ways that we can think about the world of theater and what it looks like. I mean, we've been very tied to this concept of uh, performance as this wonderful live exhibition, but which I think is something that everyone is very eager to go back to at some point. But it also sort of lends the question of, what else are art forms and mediums that are live performance and theater that also remain accessible to a group of humans that we might have not actually been interacting with as much as we would have liked to in the performing arts sector? Absolutely. The 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 being able to share things digitally is really a way, like you said, of opening our theaters to people who maybe haven't been able to get there, whether they have uh, 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 physical barriers that prevent them from getting to the theater or they can't get a babysitter or things like that. Like all of these things are barriers and also um, financial. Mm-hmm. Um, there is so much opportunity in, say, for example, offering a digital ticket um, to 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 view. I've, I've uh, heard of theaters while I've been doing this, this podcast that have completely wired their theaters with a three camera setup so mm-hmm. that they'll be able to um, capture the performance with three different uh, camera angles. They'll have somebody who will switch back and forth and they can, they can live stream it so that somebody could get a digital ticket, which would obviously cost a little bit less and mm-hmm. they don't have to face the barriers, the sometimes ableist barriers that keep people from coming into the theater. And I think that's, that's a great thing and something uh, to be held on to. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also, I also think that there's 
What a lesson at this time to come into the theater and realize how resilient you as an artist are. That the closing of the theater is not the thing that's going to, to, to stop you from creating art. So many artists that I've spoken to and that I've heard from have learned things that they never thought they could learn. How to do a digital production, how to use a camera, how to use, how to do like their own like internal setup and how to share things online. People who I swear a year, two years ago would have told me I'm not technically savvy enough to do that. <laughs> and yet they are. And I think that's that's a great lesson to learn at this time, especially when you're when you're young to go into the theater and realize that no matter what you can create. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it also brings up this wonderful question of the limitations that we thought existed on theater might not be actually as limiting as we thought. There's so many different ways to engage and connect and be creative with one another. And I think one of the things that has come out of this time period is just proof of how crucial that connection is. Um, I know that when we were talking to our Paprika participants, uh, one of the things that in general we were so cognizant and trying to keep in mind is, you know, the mental burnout and load of, you know, creating during a pandemic might be. I think that it's a, a hard conversation for many folks to have, especially so many creative humans where we feel like that's how we express ourselves is through creation and through art and through conversation. But at the same time, it might always not always be an accessible medium to have those conversations through if you're also bearing the weight of the world on your shoulders mm -hmm. during this time, right? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that we found time and time again through conversations and chats with participants through feedback forms and just like any sort of conversation method that might have come to play was that um, the art felt so much more crucial right now it was a way that like it's a language that we understand and it's a way that we feel like we can express ourselves mm. and um you know we love obviously the theater goodness knows i love the theater the liveness of it the ability to connect with humans and be able to like see their reactions in real time there's something so incredibly special about that mm. um but there's so many other incredibly special ways that have i think i've come to realize of creation during this pandemic um digital zines audio mm. vr like mm -hmm. um specific elements of play that could even be utilized to you know in the future uh, be an add-on maybe be an addition to something that we see live and in the theater um i think there's so many exciting things and um uh, creation methods that, you know, artists might have not actually gotten the chance to explore or that had the time to explore if we had continued down this sort of path of uh, live person creation, because we love it so much. I mean, mm. why? of course, we want to continue going down those paths. But I think that it's also created such a wonderful opportunity to think about other options out there. And I think that's something that I know that we at Paprika are thinking about really dearly is creation exists in so many different forms. There are so many different types of performing artists that exist out there and being able to 
have a place for them and a home for them to be able to explore and create is something that means a lot to us. And so we're continuing to explore that and figure out how we can like open our doors to more humans and more creation styles across mm. the board. Uh, you know, with our creators unit, there's so it's devised creation. There's so many different styles of performers or creators that might find a home or a place within that program. Um, playwriting, there's so many different ways that you can write or create a play to make it come together. And it doesn't necessarily have to be imagined for that exact medium of on stage performed for an audience. There's lots of different ways that that can come together. And I think that that's really exciting to be able to think about. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about uh, as far as digital creation goes is that how often and some of the people that I was talking uh, that I've talked to about um, their digital productions is in their minds, they were reluctant to do it digitally because they thought I put it out there in a digital video or whatever. And then that's it. It's done. I can never touch mm -hmm. it again because I did it that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that what we can actually do is treat that as a workshop. Mm -hmm. We can get our feedback from that digital production and we can, we can learn about it. Maybe we learn mm -hmm. something in producing it uh, for digital or audio or however we did it. And then that could carry us and we can re-examine it and reinvent it for a live setting. If that's what we want to do some mm -hmm. productions, maybe they're done after their digital thing, but I think it opens up our opportunities for exploration and learning mm -hmm. about the project that we're working on. I definitely think for young and emerging artists too, like, I don't know if Julia, you had this experience, but I remember a couple of my first projects, we were just so focused on getting the thing done and doing it that afterwards we were like, oh no, we didn't get any archival. <laughs> Like, oh, absolutely. You know? So mm -hmm. I think sometimes you can be really overwhelmed about, you know, the thing as it is in its moment and not be considering future iterations and development and like, what is your pitch package? And do I have a trailer? And a lot of that comes with experience. But I think that um, what I am seeing is really, really exciting pitch packages that people are putting together at Paprika. Like everyone has amazing looking mm. support material for their next grant, you know? Yeah. Um, so from a development perspective, I would definitely agree with you that this time is just generating really awesome content and mm. opportunities for people to workshop and communicate really clearly to funders or to producing companies or to peers and collaborators, this is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm trying. This is a digital version of a thing, whether or not that thing is ever going to be a live reinterpretation or just a continued digital project, I think is obviously up to the individual artist. Mm -hmm. um, but what an exciting opportunity to workshop and play with a new medium. Yeah. I think there's this this wonderful opportunity for things to to consider things not necessarily finished just because we performed them. Definitely. I think that our whole festival is a work in process festival and an opportunity for people to be introduced. I think as young and emerging artists, there's such a huge amount of pressure in everything that you do 
to represent exactly who you are as an artist. Mm. And when those opportunities are few and far between, if you're a performer, for example, um, Mm. you know, you get this one chance to do this one role and, um, and, and have this finished version of whatever that project is. And that's your opportunity to make a connection in the industry. And I think, having more opportunities to do that, that are spread out and smaller and um, have less pressure and um, like identity attached Mm. to it it really benefits our artists as they figure out like, Oh, like what is my craft? Uh, Mm. What do I like? Well, I remember when I came out of theater school, I, I realized like, I didn't know, what kind of theater I wanted to do because mm. I had been told for four years what kind of theater I should be doing. Um, so having the chance to figure that out for myself <laughs> was really important. I think that's an important question though, that one word that, that we don't often take the time to ask ourselves is what kind of theater, because I think that in, in, I don't know about you, but when my time in theater school was entirely focused on, the career is going to be you're going to audition, get the role, and then audition for the next one and get that role. And that's going to be mm-hmm. your life is audition and mm-hmm. get the role. And there was never any talk of self-production or like choosing what kind of theater you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And now that landscape has changed. It's just so important to create your own work now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was never something that we discussed in theater school, that that, that was something that, that we would need to do Um and so the question of what kind of theater do I want to make was not something that I, that, that I considered or I think that a lot of people have considered. As we sort of move to another uh, phase of our conversation, I'd like to, to sort of ask you guys, since we're sort of on the topic of theater school, I'm always fascinated <laughs> by, by, by people's uh, uh, theater origin stories. Like what drew you to the theater? What was your road to get you to where you are now? So hmm. – um, uh, Kesha, why don't you start? And if you could tell me your, like, what drew you to the theater? Uh, what, what started you on this path and how did you get where you are now? <laughs> um, that's such a great question. I have, um, I think a pretty, what's the word? I don't know if anyone really has a traditional, but I have kind of a roundabout way that I arrived at theater Um, I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan in Treaty 6 territory, and my high school didn't have a drama program. So um, my art exposure was pretty limited to um, I sang in choir. And I also did this thing called speech arts at the Kiwana Music Festival, which is basically memorizing and reciting poetry for large groups of people. And I wanted to get out of Saskatchewan, so I applied for university and went to UVic for an organic chemistry degree and took a theater elective to boost my GPA. And in that theater elective, I was like, you know, all of the synapses exploded, all of the connections (laughs) were made. And I was like, oh, I think this is what I was supposed to do with my life. Mm. (laughs) I had a conversation with my high school math teacher and with the professor of that theater elective being, you know, like, do I change my whole life path over this elective? (laughs) 
And he was like, if you're even asking the question, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. Um, You got to know, you know, which enraged me. I was like, Ah I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me that questioning my choices and being thoughtful about this process (laughs) is irresponsible. I was like, I'll show you. (laughs) (laughs) So I switched programs and got a BFA despite all odds. And here I am. A decade later or so. <laughs> so you were going to do math? Was that your thing? Organic chemistry. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. That's I a, liked that's a, patterns. That's a, okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big shift. Yeah, yeah, it is a big shift. It was moving from something that is, you know, irrefutable. Like there is a yes and there is a no. There's a right <laughs> and a wrong to just gray space, you know? But what was that transition like getting to to be comfortable with that gray space? I think like as many people and especially um, as a person of color, like wanting to be right and wanting to be the best and like please and get good grades like that, I think, was the hardest transition for me, especially into theater school where mm. um, people's likes and dislikes or the the grading particularly is so subjective. Yeah. Um, So I think just relaxing into trust and intuition was Mm. one of the most radical shifts. And I think, I mean, (laughs) this seems like so silly to say, but of course, like, you have to be so creative. And I think one of the things that benefited me from my background in science Mm -hmm. um, or my aptitude for science, whatever, because that background is like high school now, (laughs) Um, is the problem solving Um, and the seeing a problem and being orientated towards finding a solution um, and looking at that from multiple angles. I think that was something that actually translated over quite nicely. Um, Yeah. Once you can accept the fact that there is no right or wrong. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense, though, the the like the problem solving, because what is what is a, a script but a problem to be solved or, uh, you know, and if you if you go through it from a scientific idea, you don't actually know the answer until you find it. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not starting with a with a supposition. You're finding it. So I could see that just that mindset really helping. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's a perfect uh, comparison because a script is finding patterns and recognizing anom- anomalies mm-hmm. and um, understanding how things connect to each other. So um, I often think of things as puzzles that are just waiting to be solved. <laughs> mm. Awesome. Julia, what was your theater origin story? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, I I think that generally speaking, um, if you had to look at sort of my family background, I am actually sort of the, the, the black sheep of the family in that my whole immediate family is very science and mathematics oriented. Uh, and then out I came with just like the natural predisposition to want to put on a show. Uh, and, uh, so my family was like, great, we don't know what to do with her. So let's throw her into the arts. And from there, it just sort of 
fell into place. I managed to do just like a whole lot of like, you know, community theater and various sort of um, the sort of lovely little ways of being able to connect and grow into artistic opportunities. Um, And when it was time for me to really consider what I wanted to do with myself and my life, uh, I actually was really dead set on becoming a teacher, actually, Mm. because I really had found that drama had been something I'd been very passionate about and enjoyed. um, But something I'm also, in general, always been fairly passionate about is uh, working with people to help them uh, understand things. I found that I was always pretty good at translating when somebody had a problem to, oh, I can help you figure out how to actually get from point A to point B uh, pretty easily. And then also not only tell you how to do that, but like teach you so that you can do it by yourself next time. And you don't even need me around anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It was something I was always super passionate about. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to go off to school and uh, become a teacher. Uh, And so I went and I studied at uh, Queens University in a concurrent education program, which means that I'm getting like my bachelor of education at the same time as just sort of a regular undergraduate degree. Um, and one of the things that was required of me was to obviously pick a major. And I was like, well, you know, it doesn't particularly matter since I'm just going to go off and become, you know, some sort of primary junior-esque teacher anyway. Uh, so I'm going to pick the one I enjoyed the most. And that was drama. <laughs> and uh, one of the really interesting things about um, Queen's University's program is that um, it doesn't require you to go in and say, hey, I'm going to like audition to become an actor or I'm going to apply with my design platform and become a designer or here's like some excerpts from a script. I'm going to become like a playwright and only be in that stream. Uh, in fact, it generally it requires you to like do a bunch of things across the board and get like a really well-rounded theater education. And so I was thinking, wow, this is like a great little side project to me becoming um, <laughs> Uh, a primary school teacher. And through that process, uh, one of the things that I was required to do as part of my drama degree was work on productions and actually have sort of like hands-on experience doing like a variety of different roles, including, you know, designing, directing, acting. But then also what ended up falling into place was uh, I ended up doing one stint as a producer and it was Mm. kind of funny because it was the sort of role within the university that generally speaking like oh who really wants to play with the numbers of a theater organization (laughs) you you signed up for this drama degree and now you want to do accounting like no (laughs) not not quite uh and so but somebody had said to me hey like we think you would actually be maybe pretty good at this. What do you think? And I, generally speaking, am always the sort of person that says, let's do everything at least once. You know, you never know until you give it a try. And I just immediately was so enamored with, I think, the same sorts of things that Kesha was actually really enamored by. This whole problem solving, finding patterns and figuring Mm. out solutions for it. Um, I think it also really fell into that same pattern of wow, this is another place in which somebody is feeling pretty confused and overwhelmed. And I get it. I can translate this for you. I actually understand what we need to take um, numbers and put them into a budget and make that actually translate into how much money we have to spend on the set or on the paint or on the props and make the whole thing happen. Mm. Um, And I realized just how much um, having 
humans like that. And I think like very much because my family is also very like mathematics science oriented, they Mm. realized, yeah, we had been apparently doing that for almost all of my community theater productions growing up. They'd Mm. helped like with budgets and like helping with like administrative work in order to allow for like the community theater to thrive. And I just remember thinking if it hadn't been for them, I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to fall in love with theater if they hadn't like donated their time and energy to like Mm. making those sorts of things happen, but like not asking for like any of the credit for it realistically. And it made me realize that's sort of the thing I would love to do as well is help humans by like taking a little bit of that load off and doing something I really do understand. And holy smokes, it might not sound the most fascinating to anybody else, but like I love writing a grant, making a budget happen, writing a policy doc, come at me. Anything (laughs) that can like help make the arts a thing that like more people can love and experience is such a joy for me. So I went off, I got a degree in arts administration and cultural management from uh, Humber College. And uh, I worked in a bunch of different arts organizations doing lots of different things from like the fundraising perspective and development work uh, to a little bit more of the producing background and all of that sort of stuff. And uh, from like lots of different arts organizations uh, around as well as just doing my own projects here and there. I had a lot of arts friends who at that point were like, wow, you're really good at this. Can you produce my show for me? Can you help me figure out how to get money? And I was like, yeah, let's make it happen. Your show is so cool and more people need to see it. And that's sort of ended me up here where I'm like, great, this is such an amazing organization where I'm able to sort of combine my passion for you know, doing a little bit more of that administrative behind the scenes work with also that like way back when passion for education. I never really lost it. I still really love helping people figure out um, Mm. what they want to do and how to get there. And this is a place where I can facilitate that through a little bit of number crunching and just like a whole lot of love. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, just as we're starting to draw to a close, um, since the pandemic started, I've I've been asking everybody who comes on about joy, because we've all had our moments of 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 of, of depression, of of doom scrolling, of feeling overwhelmed, mm. and I think it's important that we just take a moment and acknowledge that there's joy in the world, regardless of where we are. So, the question that I have uh, for each of you is, uh, what's one thing? that's been giving you joy lately? I'll go first. This is Kesha speaking. This is going to be so nerdy, but... Um, Do it. I love the nerdy. I love the nerdy. <laughs> um, like, working at Paprika has been giving me a lot of joy. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, I... You know, it's been a short amount of time that I've been in this role, and the board, we had a little check-in to see, like, how things are going, And I said to them, I'm genuinely having a lot of fun. Mm. Like, it's fun. And I feel very lucky to be the co-conspirator of Julia's. We were match made. um, So because Julia was hired first and I was hired second, the board coordinates the hiring. Julia didn't have any say in whether or not I would be her partner (laughs) or not. Um, and I think they did a really great job. We work really well together and it's fun to spend many hours on Zoom together <laughs> looking at the budget and figuring out what next year is going to look like. And I think something I'm looking forward to is getting to have those conversations in person ah. and really share space and yes. start to like 
expand on this feeling of community that's been building. Mm. Julia. Oh, absolutely. Oh, what a little warm, lovely answer. Now my heart's just happy. (laughs) I love working with you too, Kesha. And Mm. I think that like, honestly, jumping right off of that, something that's really been giving me a lot of uh, joy, hope and happiness lately is um, actually getting to meet some of these amazing, lovely humans that we've been Mm. starting these roles with and actually getting to see people a little bit in person. Uh, I remember the first time that I actually got to interact with Kesha for the first time and the very first reaction was, you're tall. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. You would have no idea how tall I am. For reference, I am a a tall 5'10 woman. And uh, generally speaking, if I'm sitting on a Zoom call all day, you would have no idea about these facts. But getting to to know those sorts of things about humans, getting to meet Kesha in person, getting to meet Mm -hmm. some of our amazing staff who we made an entire digital festival happen with without once actually interacting with in person and actually getting to like maybe sit in a park with them and Mm. have uh have a talk and have a chat about theater I think actually getting to share those moments with humans again and see the potential of live theater coming back and live connection coming back again when it's safe to do so I think is such an incredibly joyful thing that uh is giving me a lot of hope that's wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you both. Um, just just for the end here, I just want to ask about um, what you know the 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 future of uh, of of the Paprika Festival, the twenty first anniversary, the next like the what's to come as we're mm-hmm. looking forward to to the the year ahead. What are your what are your what are your your plans, both evil and wonderful, um, for uh, uh, the year to come? Well, as this episode is airing, our call for participants will be open for all seven of our programs. And as I said, two of those are going to be offered fully digitally. So folks from across the country can apply. Tell all the young people you know, anyone under 30, to check out paprikafestival.com. Um, because we're going to be offering a combination of in-person fingers crossed and digital programs this year. We're also going to be doing a digital hybrid festival, which means that folks again from across the country will be able to tune in to take part in part of the Paprika Festival. And we'll be inviting folks to join us at Native Earth's Aki Studio, fingers crossed, um, May 2022. We also offer um, year-round free and public hot topics. These are free talkbacks, workshops, and conversations for young and emerging artists, which is presented with support from Why Not Theatre. And our first one is on October 22nd. So mark it in your calendars and check out our social media to find out more. Um, And... We're still like crunching those numbers, Phil. So when it comes to actually (laughs) knowing what the festival is going to look like, um, we're dreaming and scheming. But I think we can confidently say there's going to be some outdoor components and auxiliary programming that are going to take place alongside that digital hybrid festival in May in Toronto. And 
for folks who are over 30, we are looking for board members. So you could be part of that dreaming and scheming with us if you are interested. There's information on our website. Perfect. Julia, Kesha, thank you so much for this conversation. I had a great time. Thank you so much. much. It's great to meet you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stageworthy. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the podcast. You can do that by making a donation to the virtual tip jar. You'll find a link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the website or on your podcast app. Or you can buy some merch such as t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and more at the online store, shop.stageworthyproductions.com. All your purchases and tip jar donations go towards Stageworthy and help me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. And if you can't donate or buy from this store, please consider rating and reviewing the show. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review right in the podcast app. And if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, you can still review the show by going to podchaser.com, searching for Stageworthy, and rating the podcast there. Thanks for listening, and thank you for your support. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all past episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy.